You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. Okay, back to our Advent series called Mission Impossible is Mission Accomplished. As you have already seen, as we've been working our way through uh, the accounts, the births of of Jesus and John the Baptist are intertwined. And and today we come to that part of the Christmas story that's sometimes overlooked uh, because it it focuses on uh, the blessing that Zechariah, who is a, a, a priest and the father of John the Baptist, uh, the, the blessing that he speaks over his son at his bris, right? His, the circumcision ceremony when John the Baptist was a mere eight days old. Uh, so on the surface, it looks like this is really, the focus is really on, on John the Baptist and his parents. But actually, if you look at the blessing that, that Zechariah speaks over John, it's a lot more about Jesus than it is about John. Uh, and therefore, Zechariah's words are really still powerfully relevant uh, to you and to me today because they bring us into a deeper understanding of of Jesus and the gospel. The text is Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 57, and then going to the end of the chapter. Luke's chapters are long. Uh, Luke 1, 57 to 80. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, it's printed for you in the worship folder, and you can follow along there. This is God's Word. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, 
will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of the Lord, the perfect, inerrant word of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we hear again the words of Zechariah the priest and father of John the Baptist, we ask that you would deepen our understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Well, we didn't plan it this way, but I think it's appropriate that we are considering Zechariah's words spoken at a circumcision ceremony on a day when we've just witnessed a baptism ceremony. Both are covenant initiation rites, right? Circumcision for the old covenant, baptism for the new, but they're very different, right? Circumcision involves cutting and the shedding of blood. And that's because in part what it does is point forward to the, uh, to, the, to the ultimate sacrifice of the Messiah. Baptism, of course in the new covenant, covenant now looks back to the sacrifice of the Messiah. And so involves no shedding of blood anymore because Jesus' blood has been shed once for all. His blood is sufficient. And baptism is, is also different than, than, than circumcision in another significant way, right? It, it celebrates even the, the, the even wider mercy of God in the gospel, right? In Christ, there is no male or female, Jew or Gentile. We are all saved by and one in Jesus Christ. So we're going to do two things here. I've got a two-point sermon, but in the tradition of, uh, of Dr. Peter Jones, my second point has six subpoints. You think I'm joking, but I'm going to go quick. Um, first, we're going to look at, very briefly, at the ceremony that's the run-up to Zechariah's blessing. You know. What's going on there? What can we, and we're, we're going to draw one lesson. I'm sure we could learn much more, but we're going to just draw one lesson uh, from that part of the text, the ceremony. And then we're going to focus on Zechariah's words themselves and, and, and draw out from that blessing what, what, what it shows us about Jesus and what Jesus accomplished for you and for me. Okay? So first, um, the ceremony. Why all this detail in, in verses 57 to 66 about the naming uh, of John at, at this bris, the, the circumcision ceremony? What's going on there? 
right, to, to, to get that, you, we've got to remember a little context. Re remember, when Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel, and, and Gabriel announced to her that she was going to have a baby who was going to be the Son of God, even though she was a virgin, uh, Mary believed Gabriel. She just, she believed him. But shortly before that, Gabriel, same angel, Gabriel had, had come to Zechariah to, to announce to Zechariah that his faithful prayers as a priest had been answered and that he and his wife, Elizabeth, were finally going to have a baby. Even they, they were childless and they were well beyond uh, childbearing years, but they were going to have a baby and they were going to name him John. But Zechariah, the priest, right, didn't believe Gabriel. In effect, Mary had said, tell me how it's going to happen. And, and Zechariah said, prove it. Gabriel was not pleased. Nor was God. At the lack of trust, the lack of faith, the lack of belief in Zechariah. And so God shut him up. He took away, he took away Zechariah's ability to speak for the nine months that his wife Elizabeth was pregnant. So when he wrote down on this writing tablet, which I'm sure was a well-used writing tablet now in the ninth month, Writing tablets in those days were, were like a plank of wood covered with wax, and he would, would write, into, write in the wax. And, and he literally wrote, we say, our version says John is his name, because that's how we typically say it. The Greek actually emphasizes John. It, 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 he, he, in the Greek says, John is his name. It, and and, he, and it's interesting why he had to say that, right? Because you got all these church ladies. Can you believe the church ladies? You know, they, they asked the mother, "What's the do the baby's name going to be?" And the, and she says it, and they go, "Oh no, that can't be right." And, and 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 when and when they weren't having any success in in convincing Elizabeth, they run to, to run to the husband. And and Zechariah puts his foot down. John is his name. And the moment he does that, right, his, 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 his ability to speak is restored. We, what we learn is that, is that Zechariah, in those nine months of silence, has learned something, right? He's learned to trust. He's learned to believe. He's returned to trust in God. And here's, here's the point for you and me. I think the ta a, a takeaway from, from this part of the story. You know, God, in effect, disciplined Zechariah. To, but, but it wasn't, you know, the, the point of discipline is not just to inflict, you know, punishment. It's, it's, to, it's to change behavior. It's, and, and, and God disciplined Zechariah in order to draw him back into faith. And that worked. And what this reminds us is that God does the same thing with you and me. 
You know, if we fail to trust God, God will discipline us. He will, and, and, and that takes different forms. Uh, sometimes, very often, it's bringing hard experiences into our lives, suffering into our lives to wake us up and to cause us to trust in Him. You may not even have been conscious of the fact that you were not trusting God. So God brought 2020 into your life. 2020 has shown me, and I think many of you, that may, perhaps without even consciously realizing that our faith has moved off center. That our faith has, has been in other things than, than, than the Lord. It's been in personal freedom. It's been in politicians. It's been in courts. In, in law, in health, in the absence of adversity. You know, the silver lining of 2020, uh, and really it's the silver lining of all the suffering of Christians, is that it's never purposeless. Right? It's not out of control. And God uses it redemptively. He uses, a, uses it to draw us back to himself, back to sanity. I've heard many of you say over the years, um, as you've gone through personal tragedies and sufferings and difficulties, that you would never ask for that suffering, ever. But you'd never give up what you learned in it. We learn, let us learn, like Zechariah did, uh, to, to trust God even in the tough times, especially in the tough times. Okay, second. That's, that's the lesson from the, from the bris. Now let's look at the, uh, the blessing itself. That, that's at verses 68 to 80. What do we learn about Jesus and the gospel, the good news of Christianity, from what Zechariah says here. I think there's a, there are a lot of things. I'm, I'm going to identify six things, as I warned you, but I'm going to move through them quickly, okay? First, verse 68, we learn about the trajectory of the gospel, right? The trajectory of Christianity. This is something we talk about a lot at New Life because it's in the Bible everywhere. And Christmas is one place where it's, where it's very evident. In 68, Zechariah says, blessed be, the, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has, he has visited his people. It's God who does the visiting. And that verb visit, and that's a, that's a good translation, that verb in, in, in the original language, uh, both, both in Hebrew and in Greek, means more than, that, than God drops in. It, it means God drops in in order to care, in order to heal, in order to help or benefit. And even in English, we, we, we are, that word visit still carries that connotation sometimes. We, right, we, we talk about a doctor visit. 
right? The doctor visits us in order to care for us, in order to heal us. So as one commentator put it, the gospel is not a human invention, it's a divine visitation. So friends, don't make Christmas about your resolution. It's, it's about God's rescue. He has visited his people. That's part of the good news. Second, verse 68 again. The gospel involves redemption, right? God comes and, and to redeem his people. And, and that really starts at Christmas. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And it, literally, Zechariah speaks very woodenly here. It, the, literally, he says, uh, God has visited and done a ransoming of his people. Which I think perhaps makes it cl clearer for us that this rescue operation that is the good news is a liberation of you and me by payment of a price. That's what a ransom is. That's what ransoming does. You ransom, you liberate someone by paying a price, right? And of course, the amazing truth of the gospel is that the price turns out to be the life of God's own son himself. So listen, especially young people, in a, in a social media world where this comes into question, if you've ever wondered whether you really matter, if you've ever wondered whether you're really worth anything, look no further than the manger. Jesus, your creator, came, visited you visited to live and die for you as your redeemer to liberate you from the literal dead end of being caught up in a world that glitters but delivers only death in the end you know there's a lot of good about the world and christians ought to love and exult in 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 the creation and in the beauty of it but if you make that what your life's about, if you are totally invested in created things and not connected to the Creator, then you are in bondage to created things and the world, though it promises a lot, will only deliver death in the end. You've got to be linked to the Creator of the world. And the manger is the evidence that God has come to do that. The manger contains the ransom price for you, your life. Third, verse 69. Don't let the size and weakness of baby Jesus fool you. It's one of the crummy things about sentimentalizing Christmas is that we make it cute. And part of that's good. I mean, right, part of the message of Christmas is that God has 
remarkably made himself approachable. But, but don't for a moment think that approachable means weak. The gospel is powerful salvation. Powerful salvation. That's exactly, that's, you could translate, God raised up a horn of salvation for us. You could translate that, God has, has, has given us a powerful salvation. Raised up a horn of salvation for us. Very Hebrew way of speaking. That's not a horn like a trumpet. It's the horn of a, of a wild and powerful animal like a buffalo or an elk. And every year some silly tourists, right, who ignore the, 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 the word of the rangers, discover in Yellowstone National Park about the power of an animal's horn. The horn is the business end of an animal that you don't mess with. And what Zechariah is saying here is that Jesus is the business end of the good news. I'm going to say something that will sound incredible, but it's true. In Jesus, there is power to overcome any problem you have. Addiction, disease, hurtful relationships, broken heart, depression, and of course the root problems under all of those problems and that sin and the, and the, and the, and the death that sin ultimately brings. Jesus solves all that. Jesus, the horn of God's salvation, tosses all your problems like a rag doll. And you know where I get that image? Google it, right? Watch the tourists in Yellowstone get ragdolled by an elk or a buffalo. And, and you get the sense of what Zechariah is trying to communicate. The power of Jesus' salvation. Fourth, Verses 69 to 73. You know, if you're trusting in, in the God who came at Christmas for you, you are in fact part of, written into, a long adventure-filled epic that goes back millennia, right? We, I don't even know how far back. It goes back to at least, cre you know, creation, even before creation. God knew you in Christ before the foundation of the world. But in Zechariah's blessing, he focuses on just the last 4,000 years. As my good friend uh, Charles Morris from Haven today re reminded us the, uh, recently about Christmas. Christmas is, he said, about promises made and promises kept. And that's what Zechariah is saying here, right? That, that this, is, this is part of, Jesus in the manger is a part of God's promises and oaths that he made to Abraham and David and to the prophets. And it's the keeping of those promises. 
And those pro- you are the beneficiary of those promises. Here we are, 4,000 years removed from Abraham on the other side of the planet. And yet that promise that God made to Abraham, that oath he swore to Abraham, included you. See, you're part of a long story that's still unfolding. Yet with the advance of uh, search technology these days, we, uh, a lot of people are looking into their family genealogies, right? And a lot of those people are doing it in order to get a greater sense of their own identity and significance and place in the world. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I want you to know as a Christ follower is that you have a history. You're part of a history. And that, that, that there, you have an identity and a significance and a place in this world because you're part of that. This is your genealogical record. It's your family tree. As Gentile Christians, we've had the privilege of being grafted, mercifully grafted in by grace to Israel. So you're part of an ancient story. Listen to what God says at Jeremiah 6.16. This is God's command. Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. You know, the world celebrates the new. The world is always, you know, enticing us by by something new and God says, look for the ancient path. That's where the good way is. And if you walk in the ancient path, you will find rest for your souls. Friends, we're, part, we're on that ancient path because of what Jesus did for us, His grace that brights us, wrote us into the story. Fifth. See, I told you I was going to move through these quickly. Zechariah's blessing t- really shows us something about the, the grander scope of of the salvation that, that Jesus brings um, and that starts at Christmas. You know, we're really good at spiritualizing things. You know, a lot of Christians are more spiritual than God. We, we, the salvation that, 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 that Jesus accomplishes, and in fact is accomplishing, because it's still unfolding. It's, everything has been done, but the effects of it are still unfolding. Uh, is, is, is both spiritual and physical, right? It, it's cosmic. Look at verse 71 and 74, Zechariah describes the salvation as having, uh, being in a state where you've got no more enemies, no more haters. Now I'm sure Zechariah, like so many uh, Jews of his day were, were thinking that the Messiah was going to overthrow Rome right, and establish, finally establish Israel 
definitively as the kingdom uh, of God uh, on earth. They, they had too small a view of what, of what God was doing. But, the, but it's, it's accurate in the sense that ultimately enemies and haters will be gone. Which means that life is going to be changed. The planet's going to be changed. Now that, of course, is, that still awaits our future, right? That still is something where, where our faith is operating and, and, and looking to the, to, the, to the fulfillment of God's kingdom. That's why Jesus tells us to pray, Thy kingdom come. But what is fully effective now, the other aspect of our salvation, is the forgiveness of our sins. Verse 77. Right? Which means that right now, God is delighted with you, Christian. He's not mad at you. He's the Father who loves you. He's the Father who's there for you. He delights in you. You don't have to be afraid of Him. And God's purpose isn't, you know, just to get you. Here's another way we spiritualize things, right? We, we think of salvation as being beamed up into heaven. Now, it's God saved, as, as Zechariah notes here, so that we can live and serve Him. Now, will we go to heaven? Yes, but eventually heaven comes down. And we'll be on a planet where there are no, there are no enemies, no haters, and we'll live and, and serve Him. And that's exciting, right? The, the, look, the reality is all of us get a, a great deal of identity and satisfaction out of what we do. And we ought not to apologize for that. I mean, I think that's, you know, that's part of the image of God in us. God is a doer. God is a creator. Right? And, and, and as we image God, we, we, we do and we create and we work and, and we get satisfaction from that. That's, that's, that's the image of God in us. And, and God saved us so that we can be, we can work for Him. We can be in His service right now and forever. And there's nothing more fulfilling and secure than working for the Lord. Okay, finally, sixth. Verses 78 and 79. <clears throat> the gospel means light. You know, at Christmas, God mercifully turned the lights on. I love the metaphor of light for Jesus. Because think, think about light. Think about your experience with light. I was thinking about my experience with light. Light does more than just, you know, eliminate darkness. It actually has a power to communicate in some kind of way a, a hope and a peace, doesn't it? 
light? I'm a veteran at this. Think about tossing and turning at night. It's dark, can't see anything. You can't sleep. You're, you're tossing and turning in bed. You're wrestling with, with problems and sadnesses that you don't know how to deal with. But then what happens when the dawn comes? What happens when the sun rises? You may be exhausted. But, and the problems don't go away. But don't they become more manageable? Just by light, right? In, in the light of day, I get a better perspective on my problems. I get a renewed hope. I get sort of a sense of confidence returns that we'll, we'll get through this. this, we'll, figure out the, this we'll get this figured out. I remember one time uh, on a, a dark, cloudy day, I had gone too long alone uh, in, in the mountains. It was late in the afternoon, and I, I you know, sort of look up, and I realize I'm not sure I know how to get back. And just as I begin to feel those pangs of panic, <laughs> that panic that's associated with I think I'm lost, right? Just as that happened, the, 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 cl the clouds that, that were making this day very dark broke apart and the, and the sun streamed through and, and the day brightened and literally, man, I'm still standing there, I don't know where I am, but literally it was like my heart was lifted. Have you experienced that with light? Right? It just it was like this weight was off my shoulders. And and uh, the fear went away. I, I, I thought more clearly and obviously found my way back. Friends, Jesus is the light. He is the sunrise. S-O-N. In in using this uh, metaphor, Zechariah as a you know, priest bathed in the Old Testament scriptures is drawing on, on Malachi, uh, you know, talking about the Messiah as, as the, the son of righteousness rising with healing in its wings. And though you and I guys are living in the shadow lands, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us really dispels the shadows, even the darkest ones. And the darkest one of all is the shadow of death. That right now is dispelled for you, believer. And what that does is give you and me peace. Even though, right, there are still shadows out there, we still experience shadows and darkness because the sun has risen you and me have peace you know we we're we're, we're, we're sort of like that scared child whose parent had has turned the nightlight on in her bedroom you ju you just know you're going to be okay you know that there's nothing in the darkness that's going to separate you from the love of god that is in christ jesus your lord That's what Christmas is about. That's what Zechariah was talking about.
Merry Christmas. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Zechariah's witness, even as he blessed his son, of the truth of what you were accomplishing in Jesus. Lord, thank you for all that it means. Um, I know many of us are still experiencing hard realities and darkness, but Lord, we know that you are, you are a power, powerful salvation and you are light. Be that for us uh, as we continue to serve you and look to you. Thank you for visiting us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido, reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.